Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, direct-to-consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. To a Celtic State of Mind. My name is Laura Bradburn. It's Friday, which means I'm joined by Tony Haggerty and Jim Orr. Tony, how are you doing? I'm very well, Laura. Yourself? Not too bad. Jim, how are you? Good, Laura. Thanks. Um, lots to discuss again today, as usual. Uh, unfortunately, not the topic we were hoping for. I think we were sitting crossing our fingers and praying to whoever was available that we might be the ones to break uh, some positive news to you on a manager front. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do that as things kick off, but I'm reliably informed everybody has their notifications on. So if it does happen in the next hour, you will hear about it here first. Um, but we'll move on to the main topic of today's show, or the, certainly the top 
part of the show uh, why John Kennedy was right to call out SFA's COVID to proxy. So for anybody who didn't see it, and I was just catching up on it myself this morning, he basically went into a bit of depth uh, regarding the difference in treatment between Celtic and certain other clubs uh, with regard to their, their breaching of COVID standards and, and how punishments have been handed mm. out. Tony, I'll come to you <coughs> first on this. We, we've obviously uh, seen... And been part of the criticism of Celtic, as rightly we should have been, uh, for the breaches that have been made by Ball and Goalie, the, the poor decisions to go to Dubai and all that kind of thing. And, and we were right to call it out. Where the frustration comes in, I think, is that the authorities also piled on Celtic, as rightly they should have, but don't seem to have done that um as much or at all to other clubs. First of all, what were your thoughts on what John Kennedy said in, in a wider spectrum? What do you think it says about the state of the game at the moment? I think John Kennedy was quite measured in his comments, but he was also one thing, and he was right. You know, we, the ball and golly incident should have been a line in the sand for the SFA. The, sh- the SFA should have called it then and said, right, in future, moving forward, this is what happens. X. Player X, player Y, or whoever gets a ban or whatever, the club gets fined. These are the rules from now on. Because they didn't know what they were dealing with in terms of COVID. But what you what you did know was that football players can't be trusted. So there were going to be breaches of the rules. So the SF, I mean, when it happened to Gordon Goal in the Aberdeen crew, Celtic Aberdeen get games postponed, didn't they? You know, yeah. games were cancelled. And it's happened to no other club since and I think the problem here is the SFA didn't have a clearly defined policy on it they should have got together and got a clearly defined policy on it from that moment onwards and I think all clubs would have known where they stood and if it happened to them and here's the penalty here's going to happen what you needed there was uniformity and consistency so that everybody knew what was going to happen to them if their players were involved in COVID breaches it can't be that hard. You know, because the, the, the ball and goalie one was... And quite rightly get called out. Dubai get called out. Aberdeen get called out. But other clubs have seemed to have gone along and it's not been called out. And you just wonder... <coughs> you wonder why and you wonder how. And I, I think John Kennedy was right to flag it up. But again, if you're going to complain, and, then you have to get together as a, a group. You know, you, you have to get together as a collective of teams and not just turn this into a Celtic versus Rangers argument, which it always seems to become. Other clubs need to get involved and say to the SFA, no, if it's particular, if it's the if it's going to be focused on the fact that they think that Rangers have had treatment, you know, better treatment and they haven't been punished. So if that's the case then so be it. But there should have been a uniform policy after the ball and golly instant to say this is what happened, the COVID breaches inform your players and also there should have been no right of appeal because you broke the law. Well, I think I think that's where it becomes a major issue is this isn't just a footballing issue. We're all living through these difficult times in a pandemic and we're all having our living restrictions put in place and have had for months. Footballers uh, throughout that time have had much more freedom and privilege than we have had and still seem to think that it's appropriate to push the boundaries. Um, Jim, I'll come to you. Everything Tony says there is right. I think if, any, if anybody was in any doubt before that there's double standards coming from, from the top down about who's treated uh, fair and who's not I, I think this kind of puts any argument about that to bed does it not I think I would echo 
everything Tony said there, they used two words that I would have used, uniformity and consistency, basically. And I think what John Kennedy said was right, but I think it's a bit too little, too late. I think the people who should have been saying something is a law and bank here, possibly, you know, the men who would be silent. I think they should have said something at the start of the season because you're looking for a bit of consistency. And then when you look at it, and I'm not making any implications or insinuations, but my understanding was that 11 of the 12 teams sent their test to one place and one team sent them to a different place. So that's a red flag straight away, or a red line, as Kevin Green would say. There's a red flag straight away. Then you look at which teams have been affected by COVID. Well, 11 of them have been affected and one really hasn't very much. There's a red flag. And then you say, well, you know what? It's actually the same team who's sending them to a different place. It's a double red flag. So what are the SFA doing? Nothing, because the SFA aren't fit for purpose at the end of the day. And we've known that for many years. And Neil Lennon had a, an absolute rant post-Dubai. And everything he said about Dubai was nonsense. But within there, he talked about the double standards. And he flagged up the issue about the fact that the changing rooms weren't COVID-compliant, most of the smaller clubs. And the SFA woke up and they thought, oh, what's this? And they then asked all the clubs to send them in photographs. So it shouldn't have to take a football manager halfway through the season to say that these things aren't COVID compliant. So did the SFA go out and visit all the clubs? Don't think they did. You know, I don't know. However, why would they send that memo out to say send us photographs in? So COVID obviously is a very unusual thing. Uh, as Tony said, at the very start, you have to come up with some types of policies and you have to apply them consistently to everyone. And they haven't done that. And echoing Tony's points again, that this is not a football issue it's uh, a black and white case. Uh, people contravene the rules and therefore the punishment is X. I really appeal that. And I think it's time that Celtic stood up because we have been too quiet and I blame those at the top of the tree. I don't think it's up to them. It should be the manager's job to say these things. I think the people running the club, the chief executive or the chairman, I think these are the guys who should have said something long before now. It's too late now. Yeah, I, I think the timing is a major issue and I think that's something that I totally agree with. I think if this issue had been raised at various points, if it had been raised during the title celebrations, if it had been raised when the initial COVID breaches were made, then you, you, you might have uh, been more supportive of it. But I think too little too late is a is a, a, a good phrase to use on it. Tony, we, we talk quite often about the fact this podcast called The Celtic State of Mind and we don't want to particularly bring Rangers into it specifically, but one thing I did want to flag up just because I think it affects Celtic, it affects other clubs uh, equally throughout the league um, is this um, quote that that Stephen Gerrard gave about um, about Nathan Patterson and the effect it would have on his career to be punished heavily, um, the ability that he's got and, and how, how that could affect the Scotland national team and it kind of for want of a better phrase, holding people to ransom. Now, I'll read something out that that John Kennedy said, basically in direct response to this. He said, it should be very clear in, in terms of how you deal with situations like this, regardless of the player, how talented, how valuable he is, there comes a punishment when you step out of line in these situations. We've been dealt with harshly in the past and had to accept it, and we've had to wait and see what comes Rangers' way. I mean, I, I, I'm maybe taking the answer out of your hands there, but what do you make of what John Kennedy said there? I can't see anything wrong with that statement. 
Absolutely nothing wrong with John Kennedy. Statement there. And what he said and can I go back to it? He, he, he was very measured and he was calm and he was controlled. Even Gerard's comment about Nathan Patterson's ability is utter nonsense. Yep. It's got nothing to do with anything. Apropos what? Nothing. Seriously, I mean, I, I found that pretty insulting to my football intelligence, to be honest. You know, a guy that breaks the rules and breaks the law, but don't ban him for that length of time because he's a good player. Seriously? I mean, <laughs> I, I, am, I, am I missing something here? And You know, and I, I, I respect Gerard as a player. I respect him as a person. I respect him as the manager of you know, the team that he supports rivals. But don't talk nonsense. And that was utter nonsense. You get what's coming to you. Because it smacks of being, you know, not particularly sorry, but just sorry they get caught. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you you do, you know, you do the time, you do the time. You know, as people would say, accept your punishment. And I, and I get back to that there should be no right of appeal for this. And the Celtic fans are up in arms now because Nathan Patterson can play in the Scotch Cup tie. You know, you, if you get a ban, you should be banned. And regardless of how long it is, or if you nothing to do with your ability as a footballer, this is a crime you've committed off the field. And especially, and especially this one, because players have broken the law. We've been heavy-handed with the Celtic players that have did it. We were heavy-handed with Celtic over the Dubai incident. This is, this is nothing different. This is the same breaches of the rules and the laws. You take what's coming to you and you accept it. And you shouldn't be able to appeal it. But they have appealed it, and now, guy, all of those players are available for a Scottish Cup tie, you know, and that's why the Celtic supporters are up in arms. And Kennedy is right to call it out because, again, go back to smacks of unfairness. Where's the consistency? Where's the fairness? Where's the uniformity? It doesn't seem to be happening. Jim, I think I think what what Tony's saying there about fairness is right, and I think it's something that we as Celtic supporters strive to do as much as possible. You know, I'm not sitting here calling out Stephen Gerrard for his comments and Nathan Patterson for what he's done just because the player that broke COVID breaches for us wasn't as key a player. I said that at the time, and I'll say it again now. If if Odson Edward or David Turnbull had broke the the COVID breaches, I would expect them to be as punished as harshly as anybody else. It was a bit of a bit of an insult to, to football intelligence to people who have suffered with this virus and, and, and to to anybody watching it was it not? Well I think uh, I don't have much of an issue with them uh, going ahead and appealing that because if you can appeal it then why wouldn't you appeal it? I think it's down to the, the rules being set at the start so as long as the rules have been well set out and everyone follows the rules and the rules are applied consistently, consistently and uniformly then I don't have an issue with that. Uh, so for me, it's not the appeal, it's the fact that you could appeal. That's the issue with mm. me, the fact that you could appeal. And I think there's loads of things that are wrong. Uh, but unless they change them, then nothing's going to happen. And without harking back again to what happened in the early 2000s, rules were set in place, uh, they weren't followed, and there was no punishments. That annoys me. Uh, so stick to the rules what we're not looking for what, what, what Celtic Football Club or any football club shouldn't be looking for is to be favoured in any way shape or form just follow the rules and as you said if Watson Edward did something he wasn't meant to do and the rules say that X, Y and Z should happen then X, Y, Z should happen if you can appeal against that to stop it happening then we would appeal so all mm-hmm. you, you want to do is follow the rules and what you want to have is, is good solid rules uh, and I'm not so sure 
some of the rules that we've got just now are fit for purpose. And I'm not particularly sure that the people who govern those rules are particularly fit for purpose either. So I think there's there's lots of issues there. And I think it's not just Celtic fans that would say that. I think lots of clubs would say I think most clubs would likely say that. And uh, if you can take advantage of some sort of loophole somewhere, then that's what you'll do. And I think I don't tend to get too annoyed about that because that's the rules. I get annoyed about the rules. The rules need mm-hmm. changed. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think it's the it's the situation uh, again where it's only in times of crisis or under duress that, that a, a company or a, an organisation's uh, sort of procedures get put under strain, and that's where the cracks start to show. But we'll see we'll see where things go with with what potential punishments are handed out, if any, and hopefully uh, everybody's treated fairly going forward. Thanks to everybody for your comments on Facebook, on Twitter and on YouTube we are live on uh, a state of mind with the Celtic state of mind there are obviously numerous other football and non-football related shows uh, available every day on the channel and there are um, lots more to come so get subscribed get your notifications on tell your friends and share the show um I wanted to talk a little bit, obviously, about um, the current manager situation. Now, there's, I've seen some people panicking because of the way that John Kennedy spoke about the COVID situation, that he's possibly put himself back up uh, in, in the sort of pecking order for, for potential appointment. I don't think that's an issue. I personally believe that Eddie Howe will be the manager. Um, Tony, it's... It's been a long protracted process or certainly it's felt that way uh, with the back and forth about whether he is coming, whether he's not, who he wants, who Celtic want, whether Roy Keane was coming in. But one thing that I've seen a lot of people say is we need an answer, we need it now, we need somebody in before the end of the season. My opinion is surely you wait that extra couple of months for the right man, do you not? Of course, I mean, listen, Celtic supporters are getting into a tailspin here because of what they're picking up on social media and, you know, the newspapers or whatever, right? I take Neddy House this. It depends on who you believe, right? One newspaper reporter said that House has been telling his friends he's taking a Celtic job. John Fratelli said on the radio he's been house hunting in Glasgow. Then all of a sudden, this tweet appeared from nowhere, quoting a Howe representative. Like, I'm cynical by nature, right? So how's this tweet emerged after days and days of silence, right? English-based media as well. well. Somebody's not telling the truth, right? My gut is that you're still coming. But I also accept, and I'm going to give Celtic the benefit of the doubt here, because I've invested a lot of effort and time in how. So I don't think the club would get played like this. You'd walk away at the slightest hint of anything untoward. And, you know, you wouldn't get involved in that. I mean, have you ever heard of anything like it? The, the subway, the sandwich place, were throwing Celtic. You know, the things like that are getting beyond a joke. You know, there's... But you have to accept that there's a lot of variables before any deal gets done. There's mm-hmm. time for things to happen. And Celtic may be slow, but I still think they're smart. And I think they will deliver on this because they'll be left totally and utterly embarrassed if they don't. And the yeah. fans will be aware of it, right? But, you know, then you ask yourself, is there agendas afoot trying to wreck it for Celtic? You just don't know. You know, my gut's telling me that Eddie Howe's going to still be the man. I mean, I didn't know two weeks ago that Eddie Howe had representatives... And I genuinely think that the best friends of Eddie Howe, representatives of Howe, knows in the know and think they know what's going on. I think a lot of this is guesswork. And that's probably what both Celtic and Eddie Howe want. You know, I think Celtic and Eddie Howe could be playing a blinder. 
it's let's be honest, this is a the, the most important season straight into the Champions League, and it's a thirty-five million pound winner takes all. You've got to take time to get that appointment right. So let's afford the club that great. <clears> and I'll try to read between the lines and connect dots. And the two main people that haven't spoken in all of this are Celtic and Eddie Howe. Right? Nothing's signed and sealed until it's delivered, but, you know, I, I don't think it'd be a good look for Celtic if they failed in this. You know, we, we await the outcome like everybody else, but a lot of what you're reading and hearing is, I mean, I put it as speculation, it's hearsay, it's gossip, you know, and unless I'm told otherwise, I still believe that Eddie Howe's going to be the man. You know, and I think Celtic and Eddie Howe will announce that when they're fit and ready and not before. But see if you're Celtic PR or you're me and I'm working at Celtic, I'll announce it next Friday. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Before the Scottish Cup, I for maximum and massive impact, even if he's not coming in until the end of the season, which I, I don't think he should anyway. See if you do it then, you'll get that explosion of joy on Twitter or whatever, the Celtic fans and, and that trust back and you'll you'll be able to see that Celtic have done the right thing and they're taking the club forward. Well, here's hoping we are sitting here next week able to break that news on the eve of the Scottish Cup tie. It would be quite quite the quite the podcast, I'm sure. Um, Jim, Tony brought up a point there that a lot of people have raised concerns about, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he's saying, you know, the Celtic board are not stupid, they're not mugs, they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be played by Eddie Howe like this. But we have seen situations in the past either where the player hasn't wanted to get something over the line or whoever we're trying to get in or or the board themselves haven't managed to get something over the line, it wouldn't be totally out of character for them to, to fall at the last hurdle, would it? I think last Friday I was very confident how it was going to come. Um, this week I maybe had a bit more of a think about it. And I think, you know, I think we we're talking about having a new structure, you know, and I think if Eddie Howe comes in, that's, that's not really a new structure, that's a new manager. Uh, and then I think we talked about Fergal Harkin in the past mm-hmm. that's to get a bit messy now because you know I think as football fans you think things are quite simple go and get that guy get him in tomorrow and that's it but Eddie Howe's much in demand you know where you think he's good, bad or indifferent he's very much in demand and if you look at some of the teams down south the big teams down south look at Arsenal this season Arsenal are pretty, pretty, pretty useless this season so I think Arteta's jacket's on a sugarly nail you know so you know, maybe if he if he waits a few months to make it the Arsenal job, but I don't think Eddie Howe is trying to play Celtic. Uh, he's in demand, so why would he play Celtic? He can get any job 
down if any job comes up down south, Eddie Howe's name will be in the frame for that. So I don't think it's playing Celtic. I just think it shows how complex this thing is. And then having had a wee look about this uh, Richard Hughes that he was talking about, uh, I'm not so sure that Celtic understand, but not understand this, not the right word. I'm not sure Celtic are sure what they want in terms of a director of football. You know, because they talked about Fergal Harkin, and from what I can gather, my understanding is that he's more of a kind of youth development guy. He's not been a director of football before. And that's why I've talked to in the past that if I was going after a director of football, I'd want somebody who's done it before at a big club. And that's why I thought about Ralph Ranjik, although I didn't think we would get him, but somebody like that. So from what I can gather, Fergal Harkin's skill is in youth development. But to be a director of football, you're looking at other facets as well. So, you know, is he the best person for that job? Uh, Hughes has been mentioned, uh, and I'm thinking, when I look at him, then his, his background is in player recruitment. So you know, he doesn't have all the skills as well. And then they're talking about Eddie Howe wanting to pick Richard. It becomes extremely, extremely messy then. So you're then you're looking at, as I said, you either stick with the system that we've got, and you take Neil Lennon out of the equation, and you take uh, Nick Hammond out of the equation, because he's the recruitment guy, and you bring in Eddie Howe and you bring in Hughes uh, because you want to win the league next year, as Tony rightly said, there's a big bounty at the end of the day so that's a, for me that's a kind of quick fix sticking with the same system we've got, or do you change the whole system when you go for a doff and a coach, etc, etc because to me the logical thing to do would be you, you, you hire your chief executive and he or she then comes in and hires the doff and then the doff restructures the whole thing including the coaching staff, and the main person in the coaching staff is the head coach. And to me, that's a logical way to do it if you're going to restructure the whole thing. If we get Eddie Howe in, I think we're just sticking with the same system. And I'd be a bit concerned that Eddie Howe jumps ship in a couple of years' time the way that the previous manager did. So I think if we get Eddie Howe, we need some sort of succession planning as soon as he walks through the door, because all our eggs are in the Eddie Howe basket. Uh, but I, I also think that I was quite surprised that we could get Eddie Howe as I've said before I think because I thought he was maybe a bit a bit beyond us but if we can get him and he wins the league next year go for it you know but I'm not as yeah. as I said I'm, I'm not as confident as I was this time last week but <laughs> I still think we'll get him and also like Tony said I would I would be nowhere near this team at the end of the season I'd be in the background just now looking at new players etc etc but this this is a ter- this is a really poor team that we've got just now underperforming they've chucked it so why would you want to manage this team for a few games to the end of the season there's too much downside and there's not enough upside for me so hopefully Eddie gets the job hopefully he's coming at the end of the season and hopefully he's doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes to hit the ground running as soon as he comes in the door yeah uh, Tony, what Jim says there, I think we're all in agreement. Um, from a Celtic supporter's point of view, you want somebody in to try and right right the ship as quickly as possible. But I think we all agree that if you want to get the right person in and their desire is to stay until or to wait until the summer, then my preference would be to wait for that person and wait for the right for the right man. Um, expanding on what Jim says about the the director of football thing, my first opinion was if it takes. 
uh, Richard Hughes to get Eddie Howe than you get Richard Hughes. That was my first opinion. But as Jim says, it's a bit backwards if you're setting out your stall with a new CEO and saying we want to go for a director of football and then a coach to then immediately jump to, right, well, we'll get the coach and he can dictate everything upwards. It's a complicated situation, is it not? And, and surely it comes back to the conversation that we've had previously about short-term versus long-term vision, does it not? I think any kind of appointment, though, whether it's a DOF and a, a head coach, these are all, Jim, these are all, they could be appointments that you bring in and, and, and they leave. Jim used a phrase there, and it's a great phrase, succession planning. See if you get Eddie Howe and Richard Hughes or Eddie Howe and Fergal Harkin or whatever combination, right? If you're, if you're a big club and big businesses and big these. They do succession planning. So the minute these guys walk in the door, you should be planning for a day when they leave, whether that be in two years, three years, five years, seven years. Right? You'll get you'll get a whiff of that and you'll know that. So you should be scouting anyway who you're going to bring in or just keeping your eye on on that. That's what big clubs do. So that it's, there's a continuity there or so that if they all go at the one time then so be it. You've identified people that can come in and fill those roles. That's what succession planning is. And Celtic just didn't didn't perform any succession planning for this eventuality this season. There was none whatsoever, which is why we've got a new CEO coming in and hopefully, as Jim and yourself and myself have alluded to, a new way of working with a DOF, technical director, manager or whatever. But from the minute you identify these people and they come in the door, you start your succession planning then you let them go on with the football side of the business for X amount of years, however long that is. But you, if you're being smart and you're acting like a big club, you will have your eye on who's the movers and shakers in the coaching world and in the technical direction world or director of football or whatever you want to call it. And you will identify these people as possible successors for whenever Eddie Howe, Virgil Harkin or Eddie Howe and Richard Hughes say thank you and good night if it's them that are coming in. That's the way big football clubs operate and that's what mm-hmm. should be doing from this summer onwards and that's hopefully why they brought in Dominic Mackay and whoever they're going to bring in hopefully that's the way it's going to be moving forward I, I, I can't disagree with anything either of you've said to be honest I think it's got to be much more structured there's got to be much more of a long term plan because to be honest we, we were sitting I think at the point where even if things had gone to plan and Neil Lennon had won as the 10, I think a lot of people would agree that his time was still up, but but there was still no plan in place for what was going to happen thereafter. And certainly I'm reading the comments here, um, it's dividing people uh, the, the, in terms of what happens. Roddy McDonald on YouTube, thanks for commenting, has said Eddie Howe can't be allowed to choose his boss. Uh, John Paul Connors on YouTube has also said uh, manager can't be allowed uh, to appoint a DOF. If that's the case, the DOF is already compromised if that's the yeah. case the club don't know what a DOF is which is exactly what Jim said um, it's it's kind of it is split though because Red Scotland's come in he said if it's how I'll be happy if it's Clark I'll be happy if it's anyone similar um, I'll be happy so there's there's a lot of people thinking if you're going down the director of football route that you need to have that in place before you have a coach there's a lot of people thinking a lot of the wrongs will be righted just by having a decent coach in place so as as usual, we've provided no answers, but more questions. We will see where it goes. Um, but again, thanks. I think also, Laura. For... Sorry, Laura, Jim. On I think you also, go. You have to look. 
I also have to look at this from, from Eddie Howe's point of view as well. I mean, there's been a lot of stuff on Twitter giving him a hard time, but at the end of the day, you know, he's likely to get the choice of create a few jobs. And if that was you or I, then you're going to weigh these things up. You're going to weigh the, the good points and the bad points. You know, there's, there's, there's good points of coming to Celtic and there's been there's, there's a lot of bad points in terms of coming to Celtic. So you have to weigh these things up. And I think Eddie Howe's just acting the way that you or I would act if you were mm-hmm. off, if you were given the opportunity of a few jobs. So and it's, and it's dead easy to look at it from a, from a Celtic state of mind point of view. Why wouldn't he want to do this? But, you know, you're coming up here, the league's not particularly good, the quality of players aren't particularly good. You're going to get a lot of off-field grief as well. You know, so, you know, you have to, I think the biggest thing for Mehdi Howe is, is, is a young family. You're going to uproot your young family and bring them up here maybe for only two or three years. You or I would be thinking the same thing. So I think people should maybe lay off Eddie Howe for now. He's just a guy trying to pick his next job, as you or I would do. I think that's fair. I think um, I think we too often look at things through too much of a football prism in this situation and don't think that at the end of the day for these people it still is a job and they've still got that that aspect of it to look at. And for anybody listening or watching, remember to take a swig of your drink anytime actually any of us says a Celtic state of mind. <laughs> it's a it's a klaxon for Celtic state of mind. But anyway, we will move on. Um, Tony, I'll come to you on this one first. We were having messages uh, back and forth based on some of the conversations that have happened elsewhere on the podcast this week um, about cult heroes and what they are. Uh-huh. Now, you and I have already been kind of going back and forth before we came on air about what that means. I'll be interested to hear Jim's thoughts on it because I don't know what his thoughts on it are. Before we get to naming who our cult heroes are and, and, and who we think fits the category, what is your definition of it? Like, what do you, what, what to you would say if you meet these points, you are a cult hero at Celtic? My definition would be somebody that maybe wasn't at Celtic for a long time, but did something to, that's ingrained in the hearts and minds of the supporters, rightly or wrongly. You know, there seems to be this that cult heroes have to be, have, have to have done something fantastic to be a cult hero, but you can be a cult hero for the very opposite. You didn't do something fantastic. So that, that's kind of, it's a, it's a very kind of grey area, isn't it? And vague definition of cult icon, but I think most fans would say that their cult icons are players that they look upon favourably, but there are cult icons where you don't look upon them favourably. And then, then you kind of go, but and then there was guys that were there for so many years, you know, like three, five, seven years. So do they not just become Celtic players? Yeah. You know, that, that in my mind, I'm trying to square the circle on on that definition in my head because I've got a list of players who I think fall into the category. So or or ones that you know, some for the right reason, some for the wrong reason. So it's very, it's a very the definition can be stretched. Me you you have accidentally talked yourself into uh, naming Mo Johnston as a Celtic cult <laughs> hero, which is dangerous territory. But we'll uh, we'll go into that a bit more depth once I get Jim's thoughts. Jim, do your thoughts on what a cult hero is? Do they match Tony's definition? Is there any differences you would you would make from that? Well, since you gave us our homework yesterday, I thought I'd better look up the, de- the dictionary definition of a cult icon. <laughs> it talks about a public figure who is greatly admired by a relatively small audience or is influential despite limited commercial success. So that's the, the dictionary uh, definition. Uh, and uh, I thought uh, that maybe in, fo- 
<laughs> and I thought that maybe in football terms, maybe, might have been maybe someone who didn't achieve their potential, who divided mm-hmm. opinion. Then maybe the majority didn't rate, but certainly not a joke figure, because we've had a few joke figures who are, who are not called icons. So I think, yeah. you know, if I use my definition, uh, I would put people like Paddy McCourt in there, Paddy Roberts in there, Samaras in there, and go back a bit further. There's a fantastic play called Benderley Bratback, shameless plug, uh, and Harold Bratback, I think, uh, would be a cult icon. So, so if, 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 if that's my definition, you know, somebody who splits opinion, who could achieve much, much more than they did, there's a quick four for you of recent times. I think um, one that springs to mind for me when you mention that, and he's not necessarily a, a terribly popular figure, but certainly fits into the same category as Bratback, is a player who's provided an iconic moment. So for me, I will never forget the name Tony Watt because I was at at the Barcelona game when he scored that famous goal. Now, he might still fall short of the cult icon status, but for me, he's kind of a player who I'll always remember with fond memories because of that that iconic moment that he provided. Um, Tony, who are some of the names you've got? Who are some of the justifications that you've got for being on your list? Well, my justification was that they weren't there for a long time, so I, I Paolo Di Canio's a cult icon. Mm-hmm. Cadet. Cadet, right? Paul Byrne because mm-hmm. uh, he scored two wonder goals against Rangers and then I also had Graham Sinclair because he did a ma- ma- man-marking job on Cruyff in 1982 you know you talk about Graham Sinclair and everybody just remembers that game when he got his nose broke in the process as well Tony Warner I said to you as well I mean Tony Warner's entered iconic uh, Celtic football because he played one game and it was a 5-1 game against Rangers and then I, I said a couple others for not the right reasons. Willie Garner, who was a defender who scored twice two OGs, Jim will remember, sectional league cup mm-hmm. against on his, on his debut. So is that cult iconic status for the wrong reasons? Jim Melrose, who gave the fans the Vicky at Tanadice, you know? So I, again, your the definition's kind of vague and it depends what definition you want. There's no right or wrong definition. So these are players it that. the rules. <laughs> What's that? Ah, yeah. It depends yeah. on the rules. Will the rules sorted out? Once the rules are yeah. sorted out, then yeah, apply the rules cons- <laughs> consistently. Yeah, uniformly. Aye, this, uniformly. This, our, our, our selections aren't annoying, Jim. It's just the rules that are annoying, Jim. <laughs> and whether yeah. they're applied I think also, I think, I think also, if you're going to have a cult icon, it has to be for a good reason. You're going to Willie right. Garners and the Mel Roses and that. And I also think that they maybe have to have been there for a while. So I understand... The Tony Watt thing, but he was a kind of for me. He was a kind of one-hit wonders. He was a kind of pop music term, yeah, pop music. Yeah. Sorry, that's a, give my give my age away. Like, pop music. <laughs> uh, to give a musical term, they're kind of one-hit wonders. Uh, I think. Yeah. So anyway, need to, need to have a good definition of what that is, and then you can then figure out who actually that would apply to. So yeah. Yeah, there's there's a whole category that I think falls into a category of its own, which I quite enjoy, uh, which is the the players that form a connection with the fans that lasts far beyond their time at the club. So you're talking about John Hartson, and Chris Sutton, who, yes, they were very successful and are Celtic legends in their own right, so they probably don't fall into the, the cult icon status. But when you look at somebody like Enrico Anoni or Mark Crossas or um, players of that ilk, even, 
even George Cadet is the same. You know, you see them on social media constantly uh, going back and forth with Celtic fans, um, putting out wee pro-Celtic tweets on days when we get a good result or in anticipation of a big match. And that's something I really enjoy. Tony, have you seen any players that you know, it's, you think still maintain that, that Celtic connection for years after they've left the club? Well, Krosas is one in particular who mm-hmm. yeah, never really left them. Donati as well, uh, Twitch, you know, and obviously Mr. Dembele. Mm-hmm. Recently, he, they, never, they never tire of, of bigging up Celtic. So, I mean, and I think that's testimony to the fact that they, they got it. You know, they didn't have you didn't have to be the most successful yeah. except for Dembele. Dembele was very but they got it. And that's why the fans still reveal them. Cadetti's never sort of talking the, the hoops up, you know, so and I, I think that's, I also think it's highly complimentary, complimentary to the club and the fans that these players still want to wax lyrical about a club that they played for, well, not a great length of time, but they got it and they got what it meant and they got a feel for it. Because Kroos asked himself, he he embedded himself in the history, I believe, in the club and went out and researched it and, you know, and, and loved it, loved the story and just fell in love with the place. And, you know, and, and, and players, like, sometimes it just doesn't work for players, but, you know, so be it. But I, I think a lot of players have that affinity for Celtic and it, and it never leaves them. And, you, you, you know, when you see tweets like that, you, you smile and you think to yourself, oh, I wish they had have made it, but, hey, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jim. I think if I think if we'd had more of those players of that mindset in the team in the last the last year or so, then we might be talking about a very different end to to this season. Do you not think? Absolutely, and I think uh, Echo Tony's the most. Those players got it, and I think that's almost like the, the other way around. From us saying who's our cult icons from those players' point of view, who were the teams that they enjoyed playing for? So they definitely got it. Uh, mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, a shame we didn't have more of that ilk over the last year it's uh, we'll try to be positive today move on <laughs> yeah lots of lots of names coming through Maravchit25 says Albert Kidd on YouTube we've got Jerry Craney uh, we've got Tom Rodgers some people are saying that anticipation of times going forward that he might be considered a cult icon uh, in the future uh, Barry Robson's one who and I know Jim and I know other people have mentioned about his his sort of important um slotting into the midfield with Paul Hartley um, probably around 10 or 12 years ago now that kind of switched things around for us for winning the title under Gordon Strachan so there's plenty of ways in which you could define these people the last the last sort of category of cult icon that I wanted to touch on was kind of to me the untouchable ones the the ones that undoubtedly have Celtic in their in their blood and the first one that springs to mind for me, apart from the obvious to- uh, uh, Tommy Burns, but he's legendary for so many other reasons, is is Peter Grant, Tony. He He's, you know, unapologetically Celtic through and through. He will wax lyrical about them in any interview that you see since. And you could just tell, it's an overused phrase, but he was a supporter who happened to have got lucky the way the way Tommy Burns always talked about. And Peter Grant falls into that category as well. So we are great thing about Peter Grant, see when you were sitting in the, the newspaper industry and you needed a Celtic spread, you need a big 1,200 hole to fill Peter Grant was always your go-to and he would talk <laughs> about anything, and I mean anything because he was just Celtic through and through, die hard and he got it, and he also had the utmost respect for the job that we did 
So you would phone him and you'd say, he's got a hole in the paper. And he would just say, shoot, what, what's the topic? And he would not let you down. What You had to actually say to Peter Grant at times, yep, yeah, just, just to let him know that he was actually talking to someone. In the end, Peter Grant is a, a journalist team and a guy who would talk you through anything. And the last article I think I did with Peter Grant was on the Atletico Madrid game at Celtic Park, no, the behind closed doors game. Mm-hmm. During Brendan Rogers' time, when they were talking about you know, punishing Celtic because of racking up so many UEFA fines, and then there was a threat that they might close the stadium. And I, Imagine and I, playing in front of an empty stadium. What, yeah, what I thought that is. <laughs> correct, right. So, and I spoke to Peter Grant about the Atletico Madrid game, and he was absolutely terrific. And the, the next guy who went to the Brendan Rogers press conference, Brendan Rodgers actually mentioned it. He said, I read a cracking article about playing behind closed doors and he spoke about, you know, he didn't want that to happen. So, honestly, Peter Grant is just one of the top, top men and just a guy who gets it, gets everything from Celtic, but has a healthy respect from the job that we as journalists performed as well. And and I, I, I can't speak highly enough of Peter Grant for that reason. And for that reason, you say he, he's iconic to me as well. Mm-hmm. We just falls into that category. Tommy Bond is another, as you mentioned. But yeah, you know, and, and for all, you might have said he was a player of limited ability. He gave Sterling service to the club. Yeah. Uh, Jim, just. I thought you would tend to call him a diehard, would you not, Tony? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a diehard. Yeah, he died in the real Celtic, man. Jim, you know, just, you know, could talk about anything Celtic related. I actually struggle to think of somebody who. Yeah, sorry, well, anyway. I was going. So sorry, Jim. I was actually going to come to you and say I, I, I can't think of a more died in the wool Celtic fan who's actually pulled on the shirt, even if they haven't achieved as much. But like you say, Roy Aikens, another one. Can you think of any others that might, you know, fall into that category, regardless of their of their achievements at the club? I think the further you go back, the more you'll get, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Because the further you go back, then. The team is, or the club is made up of mostly Celtic supporters who are from the west of Scotland. You know, so if you go back mm-hmm. into the into the seventies and Johnny Doyle's of this world, I mean, a lot of the Lisbon Lions were died in the real Celtic fans. You know, so I think mm-hmm. it becomes more and more scarce. And the sad thing is, if you just say who's the most died in the real Celt in the past three or four years, it's Kieran Tierney, and he's no longer yeah. here. So uh, I think that shows the direction. That we're going, and I think that's why kind of old people like me tend to be a bit more nostalgic for the good old days when things were a bit simpler. And uh, it was local local lads that played for the team, and there was a you know a bit more desire, a bit more hunger, etc., etc. But uh, that's an old man talking. So hey ho. <laughs> Johnny Doyle's a great shout, Jim. I yeah. even spoke very highly of Johnny Doyle, and he said that he was just a, a died in the wool. Celtic man, you know, and you talk about Johnny Doyle, everybody remembers well, two things, they remember the goal against Real Madrid and they remember him striking mm-hmm. the with the ball and being sent off, is that right? You know, and, uh, Johnny Doyle's a great shout uh, and just tragedy what happened to him and it would have been interesting to see what would have happened in Johnny Doyle's Celtic career had it, had it continued. Mm-hmm. And what you also going to get, I think, again, oh, oh, sorry, what you go? Sorry, Jim, no, on you go. 
No, I was just going to say it's going to be harder and harder to get more people like that. Uh, when, if you look at the youth setup, I mean, we've lost a number of talented players going to Bayern Munich and Man City, and, and the chances are they may have been fanatical Celtic fans as well. But uh, mm-hmm. that's where things have changed because the money's driving everything. So if you've got a chance to make a bit more money somewhere, or a lot more money somewhere else, and, and do a career, then I think. Uh, your team loyalties are, are, are very much down the picking order. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's obviously sitting in the background pulling out all his art knowledge. Seaton Montgomery <laughs> Early, a friend of Pablo Picasso who sketched the Excel a few times. I've no idea what he's going on about there. I'll, le- I'll leave that to he's Paul just to explain, off. perhaps. Um, no, lots and lots of suggestions coming through on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. So thanks everybody for your recommendations. A lot agreeing with you, Jim, that you know the further you go back and naming any Lisbon Lion, Alfred Noble said that on, on YouTube. If you name any Lisbon Lion, they would fall into the same category. Obviously, the only reason they wouldn't fall into cult hero status is they're the single most successful team that we've had. So um, it kind of excludes them from the conversation somewhat. But uh, but it's, it's an interesting one to have and always one to to enjoy. I would I would like to sit with Peter Grant over a pint and hear who his cult Celtic hero is, that's for sure. Um but we'll we'll uh, I'm sure there'll be more to add to the list in years to come. Um before we move on to this weekend's game, which is sort of going to be how we close out the show, Jim, I wanted to get your thoughts. Obviously, Tony and I were on the on the coverage for the Scottish Cup uh, game against Falkirk uh, that we that we did get through, although not without not without some difficulty. What were your thoughts on the game? Did you um, did you expect it to be easier than it was, or did you think it was just a case of struggling to get going before eventually seeing it out? Well, as usual, I watched my virtual pals on Axom uh, before the game, half time, and, and after the game. And I thought you were, you're all a bit harsh at half time. I thought we're mm-hmm. we're playing as well as I thought we would play. We just had no cutting edge up front, and and obviously I can understand that you know well it's nil nil. You're a bit nervy if they score a goal, they're in trouble given given the season we've had. But you know we made loads of shots, uh, lots of chances, and and although things haven't been great since. Uh, this season altogether, but over over the last few ma- matches we've made, we've had a ridiculous number of shots and goal. You know, so f- to be a wee bit more clinical, uh, could be we're going to give some team a doing at some point in time. So I thought we played who I thought we'd play against Falkirk. I thought we'd win maybe three four nothing. Uh, they were never in the game. They did hardly a kick of the ball. Uh, it was very much as expected. Once we get the first goal, then. As a matter of how many. So also the fact that they were playing two leagues below us and they've hardly played any games this season and so on and so forth. So I think things panned out much as I expected, although it took a bit of time for it to happen. If we'd have scored the first 10 minutes, we'd have scored seven or eight possibly. So uh, mm-hmm. an okay performance to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony, I think I'll jump in front of you and take that particular bullet about his being too harsh at half time. I think I was calling for certain players never to to don the pitch in a Celtic jersey again, which, on reflection, perhaps suggests I shouldn't be on the match day coverage because it all gets me a bit het up, you know. But uh, on reflection, yourself, do you think uh, it was probably an all right performance, wasn't it? Even if we were expecting a bit more after the first half. I, I, I mean, it's. Uh... It's your own opinion, you know, so mm-hmm. we were probably harsh, but I think it was just kind of, it was like cosmic in the way we thought the season was going. And I posed the question at half time would you be surprised if Falkirk scored the first goal? 
people went apoplectic. I mean, the comments went, oh, you know, we're dominating. And, and we were dominating the game, but it was the same up at Ross County. They were dominating the game and missing chances, and they lost. And then Neil Lennon left. So I, I was really saying that we, we'd seen this movie before. We sell mm-hmm. so many games this season. You were rightly going off your nut and sell him and he's, he's not playing and never again and you know and not I think poor Russell, poor Russell was having a panic attack because I just wanted to ship the entire squad out As I said to you in private mission the other night float like a butterfly, sting like a lot of bees so no <laughs> when, you're in that, uh, when you're in that mode you know, it's for nobody win so we just lightly ran on but yeah, we were half but did we not say that Predictions were four and five nothing. Yeah. So we were a goal yeah. shot. You know, a goal or two shot. And as Jim said, many shots in goal did we have? Hundreds by the sounds of it. So we four five, you know. So, right. but there you go. We were harsh because it was no no, I think. That was a point. Yeah. Also, I think. Also, sorry, Jim, uh, on you go. That's why I would never take part in any of these match day podcasts <laughs> because uh, <laughs> when the games are going on, uh, you're in the game, you're in the moment, and all you yeah. see is disaster ahead of you. So you react <laughs> accordingly. And if I was you guys, I'd be doing the exact same things and sack him and sack that. He should never play again <laughs> because it's during the game. Whereas you can sit here, calm and relax, and say, oh, we played really well, we scored a few goals, and things were okay. But, but I think I would be a bit... Uh, I'd maybe lose the plot if I was on the match day coming to. So anytime Paul said, you fancy this? No chance. No, no, I'll just, I'll just watch you guys losing the plot. Laura's lost the plot. Tony's lost the plot. Russell's climbing the walls. Uh, and Paul Johnson trying to keep the whole thing together. So, hey-ho, I'm not getting involved. The one out of all of us that was calm was Lawrence. Because Lawrence... Lawrence is laid by. Lawrence is, yeah. Lawrence saw the future. <laughs> I'll, let you, I'll let you into a wee secret I actually was sitting out in my back garden because I don't know if anybody remembers but it was a particularly nice day last Saturday and I thought to myself I'm going to have a couple of beers with my lunch and then I thought I'm doing the match coverage tonight I better think better of it so that was me 100% sober God knows what I'd have said with a couple of, a couple of Peronis in me or whatever Don't um, drink in podcast as a rule <laughs> We will take your advice on board. Is that, is that a uniform? Just say no. Just say no. Is that a uniform and consistent across the board? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's one you can't appeal. So <laughs> you can't take it back once it's out there. Certainly not. Once it's out, that's it. But uh, for the last ten minutes of the show, what we're going to do is look ahead. We're we're back in league action for the first time. In a few weeks now, because after the international break and the and the Scottish Cup, it's been a few weeks since we um we were in the league. Can't remember who we were playing the last time. It's for the life of me. But uh, we'll move on anyway. We've got Livingston this weekend. Tony, I'll come to you first on this. What what are you want to see from the squad? What are you want to see from John Kennedy? Does it matter at all? Given the fact that it looks like he's not going to be in charge next season anyway. I think every game matters. You want to win, and I think this John says if. If this all clicks and you do have you peppering your opposition's goal with shots and stuff, Celtic will beat somebody 5 0 before the end of the season. Again, it'll be a little too late, but at least they'll be heading in the right direction. And if there is a new manager watching on, he'll be able to assess them 
So, um, you're talking about, you know, there's nothing at stake. Well, you've still got the Scottish Cup to try and win. You know, and that would give everybody a boost and a lift with a new manager coming in. But they'll know that a new manager is assessing their every move. So the players do have to step up to the plate and perform. Because they owe the fans something. They owe the fans a, a final flourish to, to finish off the season with. But Livingston, again, they're a team that have caused Celtic problems all season. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody's put on the comments here, terms perhaps a bogey team, Livingston. So even just settle for, for beating them. You know, mm-hmm. they can all what Celtic can do, just beat who's left in the season. But I'd like to see them do it with a bit of panache and style and, a, and if they can score a few goals in the process. But they're certainly, the last few games, you know, I'm not changing the fact that they've, they've had umpteen shots at goal. You know, I, I would be working on their shooting and their, and their consistency and their accuracy. If that was the case with John Kennedy, she'd be saying, right, how come we've had so many shots at goal, but only this many on target and only scored this many goals? Mm-hmm. So that's the that you could be working on with the strikers and the, and the attacking midfielders, saying, right, let's, when we get in these positions, be a bit more accurate and deadly. Mm-hmm. Jim, you've touched on it already that that we're creating the chances and we just need to be a bit more um, a bit more clinical, a bit more deadly, as Tony says. Do you think that that points towards us possibly, you know, take those chances and we could really give somebody a hiding, even if it is Livingston this weekend? Do you see that being in the in the future before the end of the season? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to try and sound like a football analyst here. I think we're getting Livingston mm-hmm. a good time. <laughs> so not the free scoring Livingston of the past. I think we can take them this weekend. Uh, what I'd like to see is the team playing tomorrow is the team that plays at Ibrox next week. Uh, so I'd go with Eddie and Griff up front. I'd play Griff from the end of the season. I'm a total Griff fanboy. Uh, can't help it. I'd love Griff to play in the Euros as well. So I've got that in mind as well. Maybe bring in Forrest for Ryan Christie. Uh, good performance, score a few goals, clean sheet. And go to Ibrox with a bit of confidence next week. I think that's what we're looking for tomorrow. What you don't want is another 1-0, 2-1-type game. Let's go out and have a real good performance tomorrow and put us in some decent shape for Ibrox next week. Uh, even though I'd much rather not see the Scottish Cup this but uh, if we have to play the Scottish Cup, then let's go into it with some sort of uh, a wee bit of form. Yeah, um, Jim t- or Tony, sorry, Jim picked up on there the, the obviously the draw for for Rangers uh, in the Scottish Cup that will come up uh, a week on Saturday. Um, that surely injects a bit more meaning back into the season and into this game specifically, does it not? That that there's still a trophy there to play for and there's still something to to sort of build momentum towards. And you have the bonus of if you win at Ibrooks, then you knock you knock out your main rivals for that trophy mm-hmm. and then you know, conceivably then you should really be able to go on and beat the rest and win the trophy mm-hmm. if you get knocked out so be it but that's that's the carrot that's there so you've got to get yourself up for that if you have to be motivated for that then as you said then you shouldn't be there mm-hmm. you know it's the bottom line that the you have to finish the season with a flourish. There's a new manager watching. You may be playing for another contract or maybe playing to impress somebody else to come in and buy you. So every player at the club has motivation now to finish the season on a high for, for their own reasons, personal for their own personal reasons, but as much as anything else, to give something back to the supporters for the, the season that the you know, the hellish season that the supporters have endured. The mm-hmm. only 100% 
in every game between now and the end of the season. Whether it's good enough to shatter Rangers' unbeaten league season and go and knock Rangers out of the cup, we'll soon see, we'll find out. But, but you know, as long as they're given that, and you can see for yourself, again, back to Jim's point, you can see the evidence base that they're doing that, then you'll accept that. <laughs> yeah. Jim, Tony's stealing your stealing your bit there, is he not, with the evidence base? <laughs> He's my man, Tony. He can say anything he wants. That's fine. That's okay. <laughs> Everything's evidence based. Everything we do yeah. is evidence based. So I mean the and the evidence of this season would say that we're not going to win the Scottish Cup, so that's why we shouldn't be playing the Scottish Cup. Because uh, uh, I see it as one more cut, the death of a thousand cuts. So if anyone's got that in the death of a cuts, thousand cuts, bingo, I think that's 56 minutes we're in <laughs> before I said that. Uh, and I just see this as another potential cut. You know, so, uh, however, I'm going to be more positive this week. Uh, I'm going to win four or five nil tomorrow and then we'll win next week. Yes, Jim. Rip uh, so we'll go, we'll go for it. We'll go for your actual predictions, Tony. I'll come to you first. What's your prediction? Four nothing. Four nothing, Jim. What about you? I'm with my learned friend. Four nothing, yeah. I'll go a bit more conservative. Uh, I'll go three nothing, and if it doesn't happen, I'll be ranting to get them all sacked and transferred away on Twitter straight after. Uh, At least you're consistent, then. That's good. Yes, I'm consistent, unlike the rules that should be followed. And uniform, consistent and uniform. Right. And that, I'll sign off. <laughs> and that completes the arc, Laura. That just completes the that arc. That completes of the show, arc. Laura. We have a narrative. We have a beginning, middle, and an end. We are done. <laughs> I'll sign out the show by saying this. Hasboy1888 said on YouTube, Laura scares me when she's on a rant. I'm sure Tony and Jim will attest to the fact that you ain't seen nothing yet. There's me as well. We yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Thank you very much, everybody, for watching. And uh, we will see you for the match coverage this weekend, as usual. Goodbye. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. It's the Marketer's Report. 
This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.